Well, good morning, church family, and welcome to our Week of Prayer Sunday. As you know, today is not only our Week of Prayer Sunday, but it is Valentine's Day. So thank you for being with us, church family. Thank you for being with us online as well. Um, I, I do feel like I should probably mention uh, something. I, I feel like I should probably mention the men in the room. Um, this does not count as a Valentine's date if you brought your wife or, or your loved one. That doesn't count. You still got to take them on a date. Uh, so taking them to church doesn't count. But thank you for being with us. And uh, if we love Valentine's Day because it's a celebration of love. It's a celebration of, of people in our life who have invested into us. And, uh, and not only that, but as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should have a whole different meaning and a whole deeper meaning and understanding of what love is. The fact that there is a God who loves us and he, he sacrificed his son for us. So Valentine's Day is celebration of love. And, and for me personally, it has even more significance. And it's because Valentine's Day, 13 years ago, um, was the day that I asked my wife, Jess, out on our first ever date. Um, now, some of you in here, you know me. You know, I didn't date a whole lot in high school. I was way too busy uh, just enjoying life with my friends, uh, skateboarding, playing video games, playing basketball. I didn't have a whole lot of time for girls. But when I got into college and, and I started to notice you know, oh, there's, these, there's girls in the world, right? Uh, there's more than just my friends. Um, I guess I should start to think about those kinds of things. Um, I had some really close friends, um, girls that um, just loved the Lord. And I was blessed to go to a, Christian, a small Christian school called Baptist Bible College, um, along with some of my friends, Kyle Hand, Adam Meller, uh, Ryan Cruz. Some of you know some of those names uh, were in the dorm with me. And, uh, and, you know, that was a time in my life where, I think God really started to lay on my heart, hey, this next step for you. And it was Valentine's Day that year that I decided, hey, I'm gonna take this next step and I'm actually gonna ask this girl out. You know, my wife had done some re reconnaissance missions. She sent some of her friends to text message me or to send messages to kind of lay the hint. Hey, you should probably like go, you know, you know, maybe ask her out. I think she's interested. And I guess that's for us guys, that's what we need, right? We need it like black and white. Just tell me how it is. Uh, tell me what to do, right? What do, you, what do you want me to do? Guys, we ever found ourselves saying that. Um, but now I do have to say this, you know, for the younger people in the room, text messaging, DM, you know, direct message, maybe this is, maybe that's your game, right? In my day, and, and some of you are saying, Gabe, you're, you're young, like, but in my day, we didn't even have such a thing as text messaging. We had to do this thing called instant messenger. How many in here remember this thing called AOL instant messenger? I just dated myself a little bit. AOL Instant Messenger was like the wild west of messaging, okay? This is in the early days of the internet, okay? We're still trying to figure these things out. This is the precursor um, to, to Messenger app we have on Facebook and text messaging, but it was after, uh, you know, creepy chat rooms. It was kind of like the safe place. Okay, I can go and actually, actually talk to somebody. And being at a small Christian school, we had a lot, of, a lot of rules at that time. And we actually had a curfew, a 10.30 p.m. curfew. The first time in my life, folks, the first time in my life I had a curfew was in college, okay? We had a curfew and that made it a little bit difficult to get to know people, especially if you're looking for a relationship, right? And it was a little bit difficult to get to know uh, a girl if I had to be in my dorm room with a bunch of smelly dudes at 10.30, okay? It was difficult. So the only way we could get around this was this thing called instant messenger. 
And this is what we had. So I would spend time at night after we, we went in for our curfew and we jump on our instant messenger. We had till midnight because they'd shut off the internet at midnight, right? And we have till midnight to talk to girls or talk to our friends. And uh, so I would start this relationship and, and, and we would get to know each other a little bit more. Finally, I mustered out the courage. Uh, I'm gonna ask Jess out on a date. Like this is the girl. At that point in my life, I, I had waited to date and we had been friends for three years. So at that point I knew, I'm like, this is the girl that I'm gonna marry. Like if I'm gonna ask her out and, and risk being, you know, being shut down, I wanna know that for sure this is the girl for me. So I kind of had it all laid out. I'm gonna ask her out this week. Well, we're typing we're on our computers, you know, we got the big old monitors and, and we're going back and forth and she starts asking questions. Hey, hey, uh, you know, why don't we get together this week? Okay, let's get together and study. You know, that's what you do in college, just study, right? We'll get together and we'll go to the library. We'll look over our books and, and, and you know, we can study for this exam we have coming up. And uh, I said, well, why don't we hang out afterwards? Maybe we can go out to eat before curfew, you know? And, and she starts inquiring. Well, what do you mean? What do you? I said, okay, fine. I just put it out there. I said, it's a date, Okay. It's a date. Will you be my Valentine? Will you go on a date with me? Um, and, and she immediately, I immediately called her afterwards to, to follow that up. But yes, for all the romantics in the room, you'd be ashamed. I asked my wife out over instant messenger, over instant messenger. But it's been a journey. The, these past 10 years, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary and it's been a journey just of getting to know my wife, getting to know the, the amazing features that she has, that God has created in her, and, and she is seeking to know me. And that's what any relationship is about. And if your relationship is founded in scripture, if it's founded on, on God, then it's this desire to get to know somebody. Now, I should say for the young people in this room, um, I'll take this opportunity. If you're wondering, what kind of relationship should I be looking for? How do I know if they're the one? I had, a, I had a professor in college who said, well, if you marry them, they're the one, okay? If you marry them, they're the one. But how do I know that this person is the one for me? How do I know this is a relationship that is pleasing to God? It's this simple. Let me put it this way. Does that person make you more like Jesus? Does that relationship, does that friend that you're interested in, does that, this relationship, do they make you more like Jesus? Or, or are they pulling you away from your relationship with Christ? It's really that simple. If you find yourself a person who can push you in your faith, in your relationship with Christ, you have found a person, you have found a person that God can bless that relationship. And I found that person. I found that person. It's been this journey of getting to know each other fully and desiring to, to know each other fully. Now, the men in this room, we realize that we'll never fully know our wife. We'll try, Right, women, we try, you try to know that person, but you can't fully know them. You can't fully know them. But maybe you do know a few features about them. Maybe you see the good in them. You see, in any relationship, there's kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, if we're really honest. The good is, hey, I see some features in you. I see some qualities, some characteristics in, in who you are as a person. And, and not only is that attractive to me, but I really appreciate those things. 
That's why I wanna maybe pursue this relationship because I really appreciate the good that I see in you. Now, I understand that there's some bad and, and once you're married, once you're in a relationship for a, an extended period of time, the bad kind of comes out naturally, right? We see that, uh, people call this the honeymoon period. It's like, oh, they haven't figured it out yet. They didn't realize yet that they put the toilet paper on backwards or they leave the toilet seat up uh, or they, they, they uh, do weird traditions with their family around Christmas, right? You find these things out as you go, but there's, there's there's things that go a little bit deeper than that. There's struggles that each of us have that maybe that person who, who loves us, they see those things and they show us some kind of like a ridiculous amount of grace. They show us a ridiculous amount of grace because each morning we wake up and they're still there with us, right? Maybe you find yourself saying that to your spouse. Why do you love me? Like, what about this are you into? I, I, why, what is this all about? And it's by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God, right? Not only that, but they even see sometimes the ugly. Not just the, the, the features about your character that, that are um, maybe unattractive, but the things that you hope nobody would hear you say. You, you wish you had never said to that person, maybe. They see sometimes the worst things about us because that's what we're giving them, unfortunately. Unfortunately, the people that we love most usually get the worst version of us. But in a relationship that is founded upon Christ, hopefully, there's something that goes even beyond this. Hopefully, that person can see in you your potential as well. That's what's really special about a relationship founded in Christ. It's a relationship that, yes, they see the good, they see the bad, the ugly, they can give us grace in those moments, but they also see the potential for who God created us to be. When we're doubting ourselves, when we're, we're lacking that kind of confidence and, and we're, we're maybe battling through different struggles in our life, they're the first person to come up and say, hey, is, you got this. Hey, God created you and he loves you. I love you. They're the first ones to point something out. Parents, you understand this about your, your children. You know, sometimes your kids can come home from school or maybe they're having a rough day. Maybe they're feeling down about their, their, themselves and you're the first persons to see the best in them. You're the one to say, oh, you're, you're so intelligent. You're so smart or you're, you're, such, you're so beautiful. You're so awesome. And they're like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are because you're my kid and I see that in you. I see the potential you have. I see how God created in you, all these amazing gifts you have in our relationships. Hopefully we have one person who sees the potential in us. Yes, they see that, but they see the potential of who we could be, who God created us to be, and who God is making us to be through that sanctification each day. You know, there's a psalm, there's a psalm we're gonna look at today that expresses this idea of the good, the bad, the ugly, and it expresses the idea of a relationship, one person in this universe who knows us fully. They see the potential in us. They see our flaws. And that relationship, each of us can have, we all have an opportunity to have that relationship with our heavenly father. We can have somebody in our life that knows us fully and loves us fully. That's the potential. We're gonna look at a Psalm this morning. It's Psalm 139. You might know it. You may have even uh, uh, memorized this Psalm. As we're reading this, as we're looking at the text, if you wanna open your text now, that would be a great idea. But you may read through this and say, wow, I'm very familiar with these verses. I'm very familiar with these verses. What I wanna do this morning, what I'm praying for you is that you see Psalm 139 this morning in a new light, at a new angle, that you see a God who knows you 
and loves you. So church, would you pray with me this morning as we dive in to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139. I pray that you will appreciate the knowledge that God has of you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, sometimes we need help loving you more because we we struggle, God. We have our own insecurities, our own doubts. We have things that distract us, so many things that distract us, God. But as we dive into your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you allow us to see these truths in a new light, that we allow, you allow us to see not only some doctrine here, some beautiful, deep theological truths, but God, that we can respond to those truths in a very personal way. That we see how the psalmist David wrote these psalms and, and it is meant to be a response, a reaction to just a kind of love that he could not even put his finger on. He could not comprehend it. God, would you allow us to leave with that kind of wonder this morning? that somebody would know us fully and love us still. So thank you for this opportunity, God. I pray that this time would be enriching to each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we look at this Psalm, it's first good to take a look at the author. The author is widely known to be David, King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, most of the Psalms. In fact, uh, we, we were looking at these Psalms of Ascent this past week, David wrote most of the Psalms of Ascent and they were written as he was heading up Mount Zion to Jerusalem and he was heading up to the temple and he was just blown away by this God who would allow him to be in his presence. And he just writes these Psalms just, just uh, so fascinated by God. Well, David wrote Psalm 139 and the Lord, in fact, calls David himself one after his own heart. This is somebody that God, God the creator of the universe says, this human being, this person who I created, who I knew before the foundation of the earth, they're, they're a person after my own heart. That was the point of the ascent. That is the point of this week of prayer, that we can know God's heart more by spending time and soaking in his word. But how is it, how is it that God calls him after his own heart? If you're like me, if you know scripture at all, you know this character, David, you know there's some amazing qualities about him. You know he is a hero of the faith. He is a hero in Jewish culture and they would have really had a high admiration for David, the greatest king they had ever seen in, in Israel. But how is it that God would call an adulterous murderer someone after his own heart? He didn't say John the Baptist. He didn't say Joseph. He didn't say Moses. He said David, a man after my own heart. I wanna point out a couple characteristics about David's character that I think are reasons why God said he was after his own heart. First off, David was a man of absolute faith, absolute faith. I don't know about you, but as a teenager, I don't think I would have had the courage, not only just to go up and talk to a girl maybe, or, or uh, to, to take the last shot in the game, but to go up to a giant with nothing but a leather sling and a few shiny stones. And to say to that giant, nobody talks to my God like that. God is with me. David had an absolute crazy faith to say as a teenager, I'm gonna go out on that battlefield and I'm gonna take down th that, that army's best soldier with nothing but this sling and God on my side. That is, that is a crazy kind of faith. He stood up to a giant. Zeal for God's law. David had a love for God's word like no other. 
We find all throughout the Psalms, he even says in Psalm 119, how I delight in your commands, how I love them. He loved God's word. He had a passion for God's word. He soaked in it. He couldn't, you can tell David just could not get enough. As you read through the Psalms, you you see this. David couldn't get enough of God's word. He had a zeal for God's law. Not only that, but David was repentant. He had a repentant heart. It's it's widely known that Psalm 51 was written by David as a response to being called out for his sin with Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet comes and says, David, you are that man. You are the one who sinned in that way and God is not happy, right? And what does David's response? He said, well, I'm the king and you know the king is entitled to certain things, and you know I had some needs, and, and I, I, you know, I, I wanted to take, no, no, no. David doesn't make excuses. He repents. He says, you have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. God, it's your love that I'm calling on. It's your love that I'm drawing on. It's nothing of my goodness. It's your steadfast love. God, because of that, have mercy. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He calls upon the Lord for forgiveness. He asks for the Lord to blot out his transgressions. He is repentant and he changes. Last, he's thankful. He's marked by gratitude and thanksgiving. He says, enter my gates, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Over and over in the Psalms, we see David just crying out to God with gratitude and thanksgiving. I believe these are marks of David's life. Reasons possibly why God says, This is a man after my own heart. Now look at these characteristics and wonder, how many of these do I manifest? How many of these characteristics do do I have? Do I need to work on any of these? Let's dive in to Psalm 139 and see what David thinks about the God who knows him. He says this in verse one. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. This is interesting here. He says, Lord, here, this word here, as you find in scripture and you look it up, the original language there is it's Yahweh in the Hebrew. This is the name for God, the God of the Bible, the name for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God who is personal. In those times in, ancient, in the ancient world, there were many gods, many false gods, many idols, and most nations serve gods who are very hostile towards them. Serve gods who were indifferent to them. Maybe you created them and then just let the world go. That's not the God that you and I serve. Believers, we do not serve a God who just created us and said, hey, good luck. We serve a very present God, a God who loves us, a God who has searched us, a God who knows us. Notice that David doesn't say, God, you've searched everything and you know everything. David uses that personal pronoun. He says, God, you searched me, little old David. God, God, you searched Gabe. You know Gabe. Think about that for a second. Put your name in there. God has searched you. He cared enough to search you. That that takes effort, right? He cares enough to search your heart, to know you on an intimate level the God who laid the foundations of the, the universe, the God who, who hears the prayers of, of millions of people. And today, he cares enough to know you. That is an amazing truth. This is David's response that he goes on and what he does here is he, he uses this, this uh, thing called a, a mirrorism. 
This is a literary device we find uh, throughout the Psalms and in ancient texts. And what it is, is just this idea of opposites. And David's gonna give us a series of these opposites to kind of further pound in this truth that there's, there's this God who just knows everything. He says, when you know when I sit down and when I rise up, here we see our first set of opposites. God, you know when I sit, you know when I rise. And it's not so much important of whether or not I'm sitting down in a chair, like God knows I'm sitting right now. It's the fact that God knows everything, that God knows what happens inside of your homes. As we look at here, many commentators believe this is specifically talking about the fact that God knows what happens in the walls of our homes. When I sit, when I rise, when I go to bed, when I get up, when I go grab a drink, when I go to the refrigerator, God knows when I turn on the TV, he knows when I'm talking to my wife, he knows it all. God knows everything that happens in your life. Even the little idiosyncrasies about you. God knows it. He cares to know it. And David goes on and what he's gonna do here is he's going to point out three specific aspects of God's knowledge of you. This is something in the, in the, the world of seminary, you might, might call this his omniscience. We're gonna see the doctrine of omniscience here displayed on full display. And David's gonna really expound upon this. Here's what he says. Here's our first aspect of God's knowledge of you. He says this, he says, God, you discern my thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts. Wow, that's incredible. The fact that there's somebody who knows what I'm thinking. Now, there's been a lot of movies made about this. There's been TV shows, uh, cartoons, uh, this, this concept of uh, you know, whatever you think is said. Um, imagine that everywhere you went, you had a little teleprompter above your head, okay? And imagine with me that everything that popped in your head was displayed on that teleprompter. I don't think I leave my house, okay? In fact, I don't think I'd leave my room because I'd be afraid of what would happen even with my family. If my wife knew everything that was going on in my head, right? Hey, do you think I should wear this or do you think I should wear that? The red or the green or, or what do you think? If she saw what was going on in my head, it wouldn't be good, right? Guys, it wouldn't be good. God knows every thought and he sees it from afar. He doesn't have to be in close proximity to us. We see in scripture, Jesus reading the thoughts of, of the scribes and the Pharisees and calling them out at times. There's times where Jesus even did that, but he doesn't even need to be in close proximity to me. He's, he can do that from afar. David's just blown away by this. God, you see my thoughts, but second, you searched out my path. You searched my path and lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. You, God, God, you know absolutely everything about my life. You know the, the, the drive I take to work, you know the direction I'm going. You know the people that I'm coming in contact with. God, you know the conversations that, you know everything. And he cares about everything. Every little detail about your life, there is a person who cares. Imagine finding another human being that would care about everything about your life. That'd be impossible. But the fact that the God of the universe does, wow. So you're having a rough day. Guess what? He knows. Feeling anxious? He knows. Hurt. Somebody's hurt you deeply. There's wounds. God knows. Maybe angry, frustrated, maybe fearful of what the future holds for your life. He knows. 
He knows your thoughts and he cares. He's there with you. The third thing, David says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You ever wish you could take a word back, right? Things come out. This is what's interesting about this. What what David is saying here is, is God not only knows the spoken, he knows the unspoken too, right? As we just read. But when we say things, sometimes we, we wish we could take them back. God knows the word on our tongue before we even say it together. Before I even know I'm gonna say it. Before you know what's about to come out of your mouth because it hasn't been filtered, right? Some of us don't have much of a filter, right? I had the name in, in, in uh, elementary school. I had the nickname Gabby Gabe, Okay. I just talking all the time. Uh, you know, I was easily distracted. And I was just talking to my friends in school. This would get me into trouble often. Gabby Gabe was my name. And, and the older I got, I got into middle school and high school. I was kind of more known for just like spurting things out and then like having to put my foot in my mouth. You know, I, I, I relate to uh, the apostle Peter in this way that Peter was often saying things boldly. And I'm like, oh yeah, they, yeah, it's not true, right? And, and I struggle with that at times. God knows what's gonna come out of my mouth. He knows before I even say, he knows the spoken and the unspoken. Here's the point. Here's what David's really honing in on. God knows everything. But what blows David away is not necessarily the doctrine of omniscience, the fact that God knows everything about everything. It's this, it's that God knows everything about you, about me. David doesn't know how to handle that truth. It's, 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 it's a theological truth, but there's deep personal implication there for you and for I. That God knows everything about me. He knows my circumstances. He knows the desires that I have, the, the, the dreams that I have for my future. He knows my motives when other people maybe take those motives and they twist them and they, I know what you're trying to do. I, would, I know what that person was thinking. No, you don't. There is somebody who does. God knows. God knows my brokenness at times. He knows my frustrations. He knows a health issue that may be going on in your life right now that the doctors cannot find any answers for. God knows it. He's not worried. He's got you in his hand. God knows everything, but he knows everything about me. Now, this kind of knowledge, this kind of relationship we can often liken to a relationship between maybe uh, a parent and their, their child. Um, I have a picture here of my son, Maddox. He's uh, one year old. And uh, yeah, he's pretty cute, right? He's got his two little teeth there. He's got about 10 teeth now. They, they've been coming in. Uh, and uh, and this picture uh, is actually taken by a photographer in our church. Uh, did a great job with, with our family portraits. And, and I love this because it just encaptures his, his personality. And some of you in here, you've worked in the nursery and you know Maddox, Right? And some of you as well, if you're, you're in the house, you realize that after the service today, um, he'll be out of the nursery and he'll be released, right? Release the Kraken, right? Release Maddox. And what happens is Maddox comes in this room and he just has the time of his life. Maybe you'll experience this today. He'll come in here and you'll just hear him squeal with excitement. Now, bear with me. Maddox is a quarantine baby, uh, meaning he half of his life was growing up in quarantine, okay? So... 
When he gets out, he is just excited and he loves to run around the church here. This is a very fun environment for him. He sees the, the pretty lights, ooh, the pretty lights on stage. And, and then he loves to go out here and go to the ramp and he runs down the ramp, he gets to the bottom and he falls every time, right? But, but, but some of you in here, you know, especially the older generations, you're like, well, you know, my father-in-law, he's watching today. He often say, well, you gotta get a playpen. You know, you gotta pen him in so he, he doesn't have access to everything. And I like to say, we're free range children here. We have free range children and we're millennials, okay? So bear with us, millennial parents, have patience with us. We're a little bit more relaxed. We have free range kids. But what does a loving father do? What does a loving parent do? They see danger in the world and they sometimes will fence in their children in a variety of ways. With this guy, it's literally, we fence him in, okay? There is a gate in our house. And sometimes my wife's just like, I need like 10 minutes, okay? Can you just put him down there, put the gate up, let him play, let him do his thing. And, and, and we, we get him in sometimes. But is that spiteful? No, there's times where we need to do that because we love him. You know, he's figured out how to open the handle of our front door now, or my, my parents' door especially. And he can go out on the porch. And, and sometimes if we're not paying attention, he can be outside, there's danger out there, right? A loving parent sees the danger, says, no, I'm gonna do something in your best interest. I'm gonna kind of fence you in here. And, and the teenagers in this room, you'll, you'll get a chuckle out of this um, because in youth ministry, we call this guardrails. We have a series called Guardrails. We go through this uh, every couple of years or so. And here's the basic idea of guardrails, that God is not holding something back from you He's not holding something good from you. He's holding something good for you in your future. And because of that, he puts up guardrails on the road to keep you on that path. Those guardrails could be uh, things that uh, the Holy Spirit in your life, nudging you in a certain direction. That guardrail could be maybe certain parameters or rules that your parents put on you, right? Those things are good. God gives us structure. He gives us guardrails because he doesn't want us to go off the path and end up in a ditch. And we might say, well, that's no fun. I wanna go off road. I wanna do my own thing. God says, no, I love you. That's why I'm doing this. The same understanding is what David is getting at when he says this. God, you hem me in, verse five. You hem me in behind and before. We have some seamstress in here, right? You're good with a needle or thread and you hem things, right? That's the idea. God is hemming you. Or this is where we get the idea of a hedge of protection, that we use in our, our Christian culture, right? God, give us a hedge of protection. This is that idea. You hem me in behind you before you lay your hand on me. This is not the hand of discipline per se. It's a hand of comfort as we see in the context. David's response to the kind of God who will even do those kinds of things for him is this. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain that kind of knowledge, God. I can't even comprehend. I can't wrap my mind around it. I can't put my finger upon it. God, it's such a knowledge that I'm just blown away by it. And I'm gonna offer you praise. I'm gonna give you thanks because God, you know me. For some reason, you love me. The apostle Paul has this same concept in Romans 11, when he's just blown away by God, he says, oh, the depths of riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. Paul and David alike, they both 
have just their minds blown by God's knowledge of them and his grandness. Now, this kind of knowledge goes two ways with, with most of us. Our response to these, this knowledge of us, that somebody knows that much about us, they know everything, they know my thoughts, they know the words that are about to come out of my mouth, they know all that. That concept can leave you feeling two ways. Either you feel comforted or you feel vulnerable. You feel like there's something invasive going on. You know, I have this little device down here. Some of you know what this is. Um, from where you're sitting or watching, it might look like uh, a, a hockey puck or something. This is, this is a smart device. Now, you know, the millennials, Gen Z in here, and don't, don't get me wrong, I know some of you grandmas, you got your Alexas at home, okay? Okay, for your Facebook and all that. And, and these devices can do some, some really interesting, amazing things. I had these in my home, and um, it, you place one of those, and you plug it in, you set it up, and you can control things like your lights, I can control music. Um, I, can, I can basically control my entire home. I can turn certain cameras on with it. I can turn the television on and off. Um, in fact, if I'm really feeling lazy, I can be like, hey, Google, play the show on the TV, right? And it'll play it. It's amazing. There's some amazing features that I can use this for. In fact, I'm a little embarrassed to say this. One of Maddox's first words was Google. You may have seen this on my wife's Instagram story. He'll say, hey, Google, right? I'm a little embarrassed by that, but that's just the world we live in, okay? But for many, that, that's, that leaves us feeling very vulnerable. The fact that there's some large tech company out in, you know, semi-valley California, and they're listening to everything we say. They, can, they, can, they have all this information about us, right? For some, that is, that is a very disturbing thought. In fact, I'll let you in on, on one instance. We were planning our Christmas Eve service this year, our, our production team, and uh, some of you remember, we, we, we had this little fun video about the Heavenly Peace Pillow. Okay, And as we were planning this, Pastor Chris said, I'd really just like to give our church just a moment to laugh. I mean, this has been a hard year. Um, it's a very heavy service we're about to put on for Christmas. A lot of emotion going on. Let's just give them a moment at the end just to chuckle. Okay, So we decided let's, let's put, put on this commercial about a heavenly peace pillow that, that we're selling. And and we were laughing about that. And I went to take a note in my notes app on my, on my phone and I open it up. And the first thing that pops up is a commercial for pillows, right? So obviously somebody knows what's going on, right? My goal is not this. My goal is not to, to fear anyone, to scare anyone in here. My goal is to point out that your reaction to that kind of knowledge, it's completely dependent on your trust of the source, if you trust a large tech company with information, go for it, right? In fact, I am one of those people that I, I don't have a whole lot to hide, okay? So for me, I'm not super worried. But when it comes to a knowledge of you interpersonally, if you doubt God's goodness, you're not gonna trust him with that knowledge. That's gonna be intimidating. That's gonna be scary for you. But if you trust God, if you know he has your best in mind and that he loves you and he created you, that's the most comforting thought in the world, that somebody would know you that deeply. You know, not only does God know us fully, what's incredible, David's gonna expound upon this, is he's also present everywhere we go. Here's what he says in verse seven. He says, where shall I go from your spirit, God? 
Yes, you know everything about me, but now we're gonna dive into the doctrine of not only omniscience, but omnipresence. The fact that God, you are everywhere at all times. Where should I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence, God? If I was trying to run away from you, right? Remember the story of, of uh, Jonah? I think he tried to run from God. How did that work out? Not very well. If I tried to run away from you, God, I can't because you are everywhere. And what he does, he's gonna continue this series of opposites, these mirrorisms to demonstrate this time God's omnipresence. Here's what he says. Verse eight says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, this is a, a word for the grave or the afterlife. You could translate this even hell. God, if you're in heaven or you, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. Whether, whether it's heaven or whether it's hell, God, your presence is there. Even in hell, your presence is there in, in judgment, right? God, basically the understanding is there's nothing. There's nowhere that you are not. There's nowhere that is off limits to you. There's no door that is closed to you. Verse nine, if I take the wings in the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. What's that? What's David talking about here? Wings of the morning. Here we see uh, another, uh, another bit of uh, poetry here. David is basically saying, God, in the east, right? This idea here of wings in the morning is the connotation of the sun rising in the east, right? So David's readers would understand, okay, he's making uh, uh, an illustration here. He's painting a picture of the east. They dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. The sea at that time, the, the Mediterranean Sea is what this is referencing on the west, right? So God, whether it's east or west, wherever, up or down, this way, that way, you are everywhere. There's nowhere that is off limits to you. And look at this. Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We just read David say, God, you hem me in, you pen me in and your hand, you put your hand on me like, like a loving father who calmly puts his hand on his child to let them know of his presence. Why does God put his hand on us? Here, here he points out, God, your hand is on me to lead me and to hold me. God, you lead me into the future. You lead me in this life and you hold me in your hands. It's amazing. Notice when he says hands, it's to lead us and to hold us. David is saying this. Here's our, here's our second point here. David's saying God's presence is everywhere. Once again, there's our theological truth. His omnipresence, God is everywhere, but here's where it gets deeply personal for me and hopefully for you. God's presence is everywhere with me. Don't let that escape you. Don't let that go over your head. The fact that everywhere you go, when you leave this church today, when you go home, when you're at work, when you're at school, students, God is with you. Emmanuel, he is with you and he loves you and he knows you. Not only is God present everywhere in the universe, but he is present personally with me. And next, David reminds us of God's role as our creator. I wanna read verses 11 through 16 for you. So if you would just listen, maybe you wanna just close your eyes and listen to this as I read this and, and, and understand that David is trying to impact us with the knowledge that God is our creator. That's how much he knows us. Listen to this. Hero people, excuse me, let me get the right verse here. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, 
even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you, God. For you have formed my inner parts. You knit me together in my, no- my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works for my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. David reminds us that not only is there nothing that is off limits to God, but it becomes very personal that God formed you. He knew you before the foundations of the earth and before you were born, before even conception, God knew you. It's one of the verses that we often use uh, to to remind ourselves of the life that is inside a a woman, an unborn child, that God has an intimate relationship even with that child. His eyes saw unformed substance and in the book were written every one of them, the days you formed for me. You know what that speaks to me? Purpose. God has a purpose for each one of us in this room. The fact that God had my days planned out, my days were written in his book even before I was even a a, a twinkling in my mother's eye. God knew me and he had purpose for me. What an amazing truth that is. You know, this concept of a God who would know us, a God who would speak to us, a God who would think about us is something that is a little bit hard to grasp. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon once told a story. He said there was a man that uh, once spoke with a king, King Henry V. And he was so proud of this. He told all his friends, hey, I actually had a conversation with King Henry. He spoke to me. We spoke. And, And he would go around everywhere he would go and tell all his friends, his family. And people started to, hey, do you know that guy spoke to King Henry? I wonder what their conversation was about. And, and it was years and years later, someone finally asked him, hey, what did you guys talk about? What was the conversation? He said, well, here's what he said to me. Get out of the road. That was it. Get out of the road. But the fact that a king said it to him gave it significance. The fact that there was a king who spoke to him, even the words, get out of the road, get out of my way, that was something of value to him because the person has significance. Here's what Spurgeon says. He says, but you and I, beloved, can rejoice that God, before whom kings are as grasshoppers, actually thinks of us and thinks of us often. (laughs) That is a profound thought. If you could find one person in this world who thinks about you maybe once a week, you found a tremendous and incredible friend. I have people in my life who've come up to me and said, hey, Gabe, I pray for you every day. (laughs) I can't think of a more humbling thing to hear than the fact that somebody prays for me, thinks about me every day. That is incredible. What a gift that is, that somebody would care that much about me. But to find somebody who would maybe even think about you once a week, wow. And to know that God thinks of us often, the God who, as Spurgeon says, as kings are, are nothing but grasshoppers right? That God thinks about you. He's thinking about you now and he loves you. So here's what I want you to leave understanding maybe a little bit more today. And it's a simple truth. It's simple, but it's very profound. 
that you are fully known and fully loved. That the God who knows every detail about you, every secret, every sin, every gift that you have, everything about you, that God would love you. That God would forgive you. That God would give you new grace and new mercy every day. That he would desire for you to spend time with him. You see, this kind of relationship is reflected in other relationships we have godly relationships where people do see the good and the bad and the potential. But when God fully knows us, when God fully knows us, he sees those things as well. Let's go to the next slide. God sees the good. He knows us fully and he knows our good intentions. He knows the things about us we don't even know ourselves. In fact, we see in in John chapter 21, this, this story of the apostle Peter. He had just betrayed Jesus and Jesus comes back to life and is there all of a sudden and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. You can imagine the guilt maybe he was feeling in that moment. Yes, I love you, Lord. Okay, Peter, do you love me? He asks him again. Yes, I love you, Lord. And he asks him a third time. At this point, Peter's heart's probably broken. He says this. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know what's inside my heart, God. You know everything. And you know that I love you. God sees the good. He sees your good intentions. He sees the bad. He sees all the shortcomings, the impure motives, the sin. He, and he loves you anyways. And what he does, this is really special. He takes that, the ugly there, and he turns that into potential. It's one of the most powerful verses in scripture. You've probably read it before, but I wanna read it for you. It's from Romans 8, 29 and 30. Romans 8, 29, 30. And it says that we are predestined to be conformed to the likeness of God's son. That saint is your future. If you've asked Jesus into your heart, you have a relationship with him. God says your future is to be conformed into the image of Jesus himself. You feel like you're battling today. You feel like you're struggling. You feel like you don't like yourself very much. You feel like you're struggling to even know your own inner conflicts, your own desires and, and to, to, to parse them out. Guess what? God loves you. He knows and he knows your future. He knows the potential you have as his child. Our response should be surrender. So David, as he wraps up this Psalm, gives us four things, four things in his prayer. He says, I know all these things are true, God. You do know everything. You've searched me, but he still prays this prayer. He says, God, search me and know my heart. This is his prayer of permission. He's giving God permission in. He says, God, search me and know my heart. Second, he says this. He says, try me and know my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts, many translations use there. Know my anxious thoughts. Know the things going inside of my head and my heart that make me fearful, God. The areas where I'm doubting, the areas where I'm lacking faith, God. Give me the faith I need. Would you know it and search it? Third, he says, point out any sin in my life. When he says, see if there be any offensive way in me, God. God, you, you, your knowledge is inscrutable. You know what's going on. Would you point it out to me so I can change? Would you point out maybe something that I'm missing? Would your Holy Spirit work in my heart as I spend time with you and I dwell in your word? Would you point it out to me? And last, he says, lead me in the way everlasting Number four, lead me in the way of your living, God. I wanna follow you. I wanna follow your path. Would you lead me? Would you put your hand upon me as you said? Would you lead me? 
You know, at the end of the day, only you are responsible for your relationship with God. Only you. There's a quote uh, I, I read often. It says that nobody drifts into godliness. It takes work. It takes time, like any relationship. At the end of the day, only you are responsible for the relationship you have with your heavenly father, the one who knows you. And what if you knew there was somebody out there who knew everything about you and you barely knew their name. You barely talked to them. If there was somebody out there who knew everything about you and you, you had just the slightest, slightest understanding of them, that would be a problem, right? Why do we allow that in our relationship with God? My goal here is to inspire you. It's not to guilt you. It's to inspire you to, to dive in, to draw near to God, as James says. Instead of pushing God away, you draw him close. That's the response to this kind of knowledge of you this kind of intimacy is either I'm gonna push you away, God, because I can't handle that kind of intimacy or hopefully, prayerfully, we draw near to God, as James says. Here's a few ways that possibly you can draw near to God, a few practical applications for you today. Becoming someone after God's own heart. First, pray for the desire. I know for me, I lack desire sometimes to be in God's word. That's just the way it is. I lack that desire and I need God. Would you give me a passion for your word? Would you give me a desire to spend time with you? Pray for that. Ask God who fully knows you to give you that desire. Schedule a regular time. This is very practical. Find a specific time, a specific place where you can commune with God, where you can ascend with him. Find Maybe it's a chair in your house. Maybe it's your office. It's a certain time. Set that time. Set it in stone. Say, I'm gonna spend time with God during that time. And last, pray through the ascent prayer. It's right there. It's very easy. I don't want to think too hard about this application. We have a phenomenal resource for you that you can use to pray through confession, adoration, uh, entreatment, nourishment, thanksgiving. And you can grow closer to the God who knows you. So here's the truth I want to leave you with. Once again, it's simple, but it's profound. You are fully known and you are fully loved. I've asked our worship team to come out at the end here and uh, to sing a song. Many of you know it's labeled Fully Known. And uh, I pray that this song is something that is an encouragement to you, that we have a God who knows us fully and shows us a ridiculous kind of grace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your mercy, your knowledge. God, there's so many deep theological truths here. The fact that, that, God, you are omnipresent, you are everywhere, but you are also, you're omniscient, you know all things. But God, the personal side of that is that you know all things about Gabe. You are everywhere with Gabe. Wow. Don't let that escape me, God. Don't let that truth pass by and not blow my mind. God, help me to love you more. Help me to want to get to know you more, to spend time in your word and in your truth and being saturated by your spirit, God. And I pray for our church family, Lord, those watching online as well, that they'd be encouraged to take some practical tips and to get to know you more, to realize that, that God, you are their creator and you love them so much that you sent your son, Jesus to die on a Roman cross for them so that whoever would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart would be saved. That's an amazing kind of knowledge, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for loving us.
and for a wonderful morning we can spend together. Praise in the name of Jesus.